Hi, everybody. This is Love Him, Love Them with Linda Gunner, where we give hope, touch lives, and change hearts. Hi, everybody. It's Linda. So excited to be with you again because you know what we're here for, as we mentioned, is to give you hope, to touch your heart, and to change your life. And there's nothing that will be able to change your life more than prayer. How amazing is it when you think about it that we have the opportunity to speak with the Almighty God? Is that uh, crazy? Can you think? I mean, you know, like uh, who just came to town? Donald. I heard Donald Trump was in Commerce, Georgia, a couple of weeks ago. And if you if you live anywhere, we're in Northeast Georgia. If you live in Georgia, that's like having that's like well, I mean, there is a Walmart there, but I mean, it's a teeny tiny town, right? But do you know that they packed that place out, right? Because somebody was coming to town that you're going to have an opportunity to speak with uh, that's in power, that's in authority, that hasn't been in power. And and can you imagine the fact that we have the opportunity to speak with the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the person who put the sand on the beaches and the stars in the skies before we were even here, and we're able to speak to him? You know, for the past couple of weeks, um, we have been talking about how to pray and get what you pray for. And I would challenge you this week to just ask that question. It really starts quite a conversation. Um, I've asked a couple of waitresses. I've asked the people around my my table. I mean, it's just it's just kind of fun to say, hey, do you get what you pray for? They kind of look at you funny, but it'll really start an amazing conversation. So we've been focusing just for a couple of weeks on how to approach God. So one of the first things we discussed was that if we held on to our own will, and again, I'm going to make sure you understand what will is. It means us doing what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And I'm, I'm really good at getting stuck in that rut, right? And, and on top of that, I mean, I've even made the ungodly statement of if everybody would just do what I tell them to do when I tell them to do it the way I tell them to do it, the world would be a different place, right? So... <laughs> That'll kind of give you a little aspect of, and I'm and moms, y'all can y'all can judge me if you want to, but I know you've thought the same thing. If my husband would just do what I tell him to do, or if those kids would just act the way I act, tell them to act, you know, that's your will, ladies. That's our will. Um, and so the the idea is is that the will of God, believe it or not, is far higher and better and more than what we could ever think of or hope for or imagine to ask for. You know, speaking about moms, I'm thinking about writing a book that's called, Can You Be a Christian and a Mother? (laughs) Okay, only the moms are laughing at that. And they're probably going to call me and ask me when that book's coming out. Uh, I have to figure out the answer first. (laughs) Can you be a... Because you know, there is that part in the Bible in Galatians that talks about how we are to uh, be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just throwing that in there for the moms. Okay, and then secondly, back to prayer, what we discussed was that we must approach God with faith. Not a doctrinal kind of faith, not a theology, but a faithfulness, a faithfulness in his character, a faithfulness in his goodness, a faithfulness in his reliability. And today, we're going to talk about the third way to approach God in prayer, and that is, it's going to make, if you're, well, just just listen up, it's in the name of Jesus. Right. So there's a lot of scriptures in the New Testament and they tell it's very, very clearly stated. I'm going to start with John 14, 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name 
and I will do it. Well, he says in my name there twice. Okay, and then again in John 16, 23 through 24, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, oh, no, it says, and, and until that day, you've asked me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, until now, I'm sorry, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I mean, I just feel like we can stop right there. Is that not crazy? So you can get whatever you want and you can have full joy. I mean, are you kidding me? What? That's like better than a billboard. That's better than a marketing campaign. That is like the best of the best. You know, in those verses, the phrase in my name comes up four times. Three times it is spoken of asking God in the name of Jesus. But in the fourth time, it says that God will give what we ask in the name of Jesus. In other words, the relationship with God is in the name of Jesus in both ways. It's in our asking and it's in God's giving. Because what's implied when we pray in the name of Jesus? I mean, what, what does that mean? I think for some people, it's a tagline, right? It's like a hashtag. It's like you add it on at the end, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But really, what, what does it mean? Because it suggests that there are three main things implied when we come to God in the name of Jesus. First of all, we're coming to God on the basis of what Jesus has done on our behalf. On the basis of what Jesus has done on our behalf. What has Jesus done on our behalf? Jesus has paid the penalty of sin. That, you know, my, I'm, I'm just going to say, in my house, don't nobody want to pay the penalty for nobody's sin, right? I mean, if somebody does something and, and they're in trouble, matter of fact, they don't even want to claim that it's their sin. They want to blame it on somebody else. They sure don't want to take the, the punishment or the, the consequences for somebody else. But Jesus paid the penalty of sin. He died in our place. And he has taken our guilt and our condemnation. You know, if we really understood this, I mean, if we really, really got this, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying it out loud and I can't, if we really got what he has done for us, oh, I just had this situation this week of thinking of something that I've done for someone and the way they have treated me back for it. If we really got what Jesus did for us, we would not treat him the way we treat him, would we? We wouldn't. I mean, he took our guilt, he took our condemnation, and he opened up a way for us to come to God without feeling guilty or ashamed. I mean, you know, every now and then you find somebody that opens up a door for you to get a job or opens up a door, I mean, for us, for our ministry, opens up a door or an opportunity for us to speak at a church or opens up an opportunity for us to be on a radio show or a television show. You know, we're thankful forever, right? We're grateful forever. Every time that person's name comes up, we think, oh my gosh, they opened up that door. And here Jesus Christ opened up the way for us to come to God, that we don't have to be guilty. We don't have to feel guilty and we don't have to be ashamed. And yet we... Mm, it's just it's horrible to even think how we how we how we treat him. First Peter three eighteen says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but was made alive in the spirit." Do you know the purpose of his death on the cross? I mean, do you do you really get it? 
I know for most of us, we don't even grasp it unless we watch, I can't remember the movie, Passion of the Christ to sort of see what was happening. But I mean, do you really understand the purpose of his death on the cross? Bearing our sins, I mean, in our place. And he did that, that he might bring us to God, that we might have the right access to God. I mean, I keep thinking about this instead. You know, I have a business coach that says, if you ever have somebody that you want to get in touch with, it's a lot better if they give you an introduction than a referral, right? Because they can refer you to somebody, but then you try to call and say, hey, I know this person and this person, blah, 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 blah. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us that access, to give us access to his father. That's It's really, really, really an unbelievable story if you think about it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You know, I just, I don't think we get, I know I don't, I don't get this whole blood thing. I don't get, we we didn't do the pig. I mean, I see the sacrifice of pigs and goats and stuff in Haiti whenever I'm watching a voodoo. I mean, not that I attend voodoo ceremonies, but I have walked in on them when I've been gone, going to evangelize a voodoo priest. I've seen the heads cut off and the blood. Isn't that funny now that you think about it? That, the, you know, Satan can only copy what God does. And so the sacrifices of blood that, that happened in the Old Testament, I mean, I know this is off topic, but that they get it because they're doing that same thing to, to do evil. So I think people that do evil with blood understand the power of blood more than we do who, who were saved by it because the blood of Christ is the visible eternal evidence. It's the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and I think we just, I, I know I do. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, my husband always says, Linda, you can't say that for everybody because it's you. But I don't I don't get it, right? I, I hear it. We sing about it. Oh, the blood of Jesus. But I just think we've made it so, and probably Satan has just dumbed us down with that to realize the true sacrifice that was made. Because when we come in the name of Jesus, we come in the merits of the blood that he shed on our behalf. Hebrews 12, 24 says, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know, this is a beautiful comparison. There's a story in the Old Testament. I don't know if you remember a story of Cain and Abel. I, <laughs> I use this story a lot with my kids. <clears throat> Cain murdered his brother Abel. And then God spoke to Cain and said, what have you done? And Cain pleaded again, you know, the Bible is some from, I don't know if it's this way for dads, but for moms, it is so much like, oh, this is just like my house, right? <laughs> what have you done? And Cain goes, oh, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Not me, right? Nobody. That, that's who does more things in my house than anybody is nobody. <laughs> I don't know where nobody is and I can never figure out who nobody is, but it wasn't me, right? This is same. I mean, this has been going on since the beginning of time. Cain was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have, I have no idea. And God answered back to him and said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, crying for vengeance and justice. So, you know, in Hebrews, it's saying that the blood of Jesus is sprinkled on our behalf in the heavenlies and that it speaks better things than Abel's blood. That's what that's talking about in Hebrews. In other words, the blood of Jesus is speaking of reconciliation. It's speaking of mercy. It's speaking of forgiveness. 
it's speaking of atonement. So when I'm under pressure or when I, I mean, let me tell you, there are things that happen with our ministry in Haiti. I don't have a clue what to do. I mean, sometimes I'll get phone calls that tell me our ambulance has been stolen. Our, um, our cage truck was just taken with full of food and medicine and, and milk for newborn babies that were supposed to go up on the mountain. You know, and then the phone call that comes to me is, Linda, now we have no food. There's no way to get it out there. You know, and my mind starts going, okay, do I need to raise money for a helicopter? Do I need to, I mean, the the situation, and you know, I'm no different than anyone else. You might not get a question about someone killing somebody, but you have questions every day that you don't know how to pray for. And the bottom line is, is that when we don't know how to pray, the consolation is that the blood of Jesus is always speaking in heaven on my behalf. And so when I come in the name of Jesus, that's included in coming in his name. Are you listening to me? That's part of this. It's not a tagline or a hashtag to add on in Jesus' name. That's what we get. The second thing is that we are entitled. What we're entitled to when we come in the name of Jesus is we come on the basis of who Jesus himself is. And we're told that in Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened us opened for us through the curtain that his, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings. That's a long verse. That's Hebrews 10, 19. So we come with Jesus as our great priest. And then I want to draw you to John, 1 John 2, 1. 1 John 2, 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you know what an advocate is? Do you have an advocate? The word that's translated advocate literally means someone called in alongside to help us and to plead our case for us, to plead our course for us, so that when we come in the name of Jesus, we come with Jesus as our high priest and our advocate. You know, when I go to Haiti, um, and prior to just this past year, I was there at least one week out of every month. And I need an advocate in Haiti, right? I mean, I can't even buy land in Haiti because I'm a Blanco in Haiti. And if I go to try to buy a piece of land, they're going to charge me five times more than what they would charge a Haitian, right? I mean, they <laughs> they even did that to me with ice cream one time. We were, we were in Haiti and one of our children had passed away. That's a tragic story, but that's in our new book, Choir of Angels. You can read that whole story and how that process took place. But the day that I took... All of the other children from the orphanage to uh, we had we had to go buy um, proper attire to wear to Sansei's funeral, and while we were while I was trying to get thirty kids the right size pants and dresses and shirts for the funeral, uh, there was an ice cream truck outside, and so I just trying to cheer everybody up. I went outside to. It's not the kind of ice cream truck you see here in America, but I went outside to try to buy ice cream for all the kids and. <laughs> I'll never forget, I, I just got a, a couple for the first two, 
uh, because everybody else was still inside. And I, th- I think they charged me like the equivalent of $5 for the ice cream, right? So one of the older kids saw me getting the ice cream and she came over to me and she's like, Mommy Linda, why are you over there buying ice cream? And how much did they charge you? And I said, oh, it was $5. Mommy Linda, that ice cream is five cents. So <laughs> you do not need to be buying ice cream or anything else, right? I needed an advocate. And I believe my advocate that day was Radovka. And so Radovka went back and she bought ice cream for the rest of the kids for less than what I had gotten for two. But we need an advocate, right? We need somebody in many, many situations that will come alongside of us, that will guide us, that will help us. And when we come uh, with Jesus as our high priest and our advocate, he offers our prayers up to God on our behalf. And because they're offered up by Jesus, I mean, can you imagine? I thought Radovka was an amazing advocate for me that day. But what about having Jesus as our advocate? Because we know when our prayers are offered up by Jesus, we know that they reach God. And as our advocate, he pleads our cause. He speaks to God on our behalf. That's better than anything we could ever do ourselves. So I want you to remember the next time that you're praying and you flippantly say in the name of Jesus, just because you think that's like sealing the envelope or putting a stamp on something to get it up there, you need to realize that when you're coming in the name of Jesus, it's because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are, not because we tag our prayers with that or hashtag them. You know, Jesus is the priest that offers up our prayers. And secondly, he's the advocate that speaks directly to God on our behalf. And when we make mistakes, when we make errors, and even when we sin, we don't need to stay away from God. I had a situation this week with our ministry, with someone in our ministry who has been sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. And did not want to repent. Not that they had to repent to me, but they didn't want to come clean with me. And it was because they were afraid. The sooner and the quicker that we repent, even to people here on earth and to God, and not that anyone ever needs to repent to me, but we do have to make things right with our brothers and sisters and with our people that are in authority over us. The sooner we do that, the better. We don't need to stay away from God and feel ashamed. We can come to God freely. Why? Because Jesus is our advocate. He is pleading with God on our behalf. There's a third aspect to coming in the name of Jesus and basing our relationship, coming to God on the relationship we have to God through Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Oh, this is Debbie Howie's favorite verse. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms and with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I could do a whole conversation on this because people are always like, are we really supposed to be perfect? Are we? It says right here, we're supposed to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So notice, God had an eternal purpose, and it was in his heart and in his mind before time ever began or before creation ever took place 
before God ever foreknew us, and he determined through Jesus Christ that he was going to adopt us into his family as sons and as his children. Look, I am very, 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 very familiar with adoption. And you know what that means? We choose. It's a big difference in the kids I have and the kids you have because I chose my kids, right? You got whatever came out, (laughs) right? I specifically chose mine. And that's what God has done for us. He has chosen us. You know, all this has worked out in time and human history when Jesus came and died on our behalf. But it wasn't something that God just thought up, right? It was an eternal purpose. He was be, it was being worked out in all of human history. And the purpose of God was that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And then that verse says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You know, I don't normally use the King James Version because one of our board members, Doug Vermilia, always uses it, and I just try to oppose him in any way just to irritate him. But in this particular state, in the King James Version, in verse 6, it's translated, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Here's why I don't use it, because it uses these big words. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. But you know what? I do love that phrase. I love that phrase, accepted in the beloved, because that's what we are. We are accepted as God's children when we come to him and are accepted in the beloved. We are not accepted because of what we were, but we're accepted because of what Jesus did. You know, one of the biggest psychological and emotional problems in our culture is the problem of rejection. So many people go through life feeling like they're rejected, they're unwanted, they're second rate. And I don't know why. I mean, a lot of times it's because of an attitude of a parent, some wrong attitude that they had in their childhood, or because of a wrong attitude of a husband or a wife in a marriage situation. Probably there's no greater wound than the wound of rejection. But do you know the first step to the healing of that wound is that when we come to God in Jesus, we're not rejected. God never rejects his children. We're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. And that makes all the difference to the way that we come to God. Now, once we come to God through Jesus on this basis, there's some amazingly incredible, wonderful things that happen to us. And at first it tells us in Romans 8.32 that he spared not his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you realize that with Jesus, God will freely give us all things? But it all depends on the with him, the with Jesus. With Jesus is when we're entitled to everything. But without him, we ain't got no claim to nothing. Nothing. And then in Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to this riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Girlfriend, that is all your needs. That means no need of your needs to go unsupplied. And the supply that comes out of God's riches, (laughs) honey, I believe that God is rich enough to supply the need of all of his children. And not even notice that he has lost anything. But the supply is in Christ Jesus. Because outside of Jesus, 
we ain't got no claim to God's supply at all. 2 Corinthians 1.20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through the amen is spoken by us, by us, to the glory of God. You know, it's been estimated that the Bible contains about 8,000 promises that God has made. But Paul says right here, it don't matter how many promises God has made. It doesn't matter if there's an infinite number. They're all yes in Christ. And every promise that God has made, he has committed to fulfilling Christ. So do you realize that that verse says, God says yes. And when we appropriate the promise and come to God on the basis of the promise, we say our amen back to God. God said yes. We say amen. And that settles it because it is in Christ. I just want to remind you a couple of things that we've talked about, about how to pray and get what we pray for. A lot of it is how we approach God, right? So we have to renounce our own will. That means we pray what God's will is, not what we want, but what he wants. And what he wants is so much bigger and better than anything we could have ever imagined. We have to approach God in faith. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to pray in the name of Jesus. And we've talked today about what that means and how that really, really affects even with the blood of Jesus. You know, all of these requirements have to do with how we approach God. There's also a lot of other things that we're going to discuss about how we come to him with worship, how we come to him with praise, how we come to him with thanks. I know a lot of us have heard that about how we have to spell out and lay out exactly the order that we come to God. What I want us to focus on the rest of this week is realizing that we can pray, we can approach God in the appropriate way, we can have faith, we can believe, we can pray in God's will and not our will. And ladies and gentlemen, I want us all to know that we can literally pray and get what we pray for. We have an amazing God who has promised us time and time again that we can get what we pray for. So I don't know what it is that you're praying for, or I don't know what it is you have been praying for. If you want us to come alongside you and pray with you for that, you can reach out to us at lovehimlovethem.org. We want to fulfill what the word of God says. We want to give you hope. We want to touch your heart. We want to ultimately change your life because God has made us so many promises that we are not claiming. So if you have any questions about anything that we're talking about, if you would like to serve alongside of us to come and learn how we can do what real religion says in the Bible in James one twenty seven, and that is to care for widows and orphans who are in their distress, reach out to us. Come alongside. And you know what the number one thing you can do for us is? You got it. Pray. Because prayer changes lives. Prayer changes the heart of God. Prayer brings us in alignment with exactly what God wants. Take some time this week to listen. Sit. Listen. Sit in the presence of God. Be still and know that He is God. Allow Him to speak with you. You know, we gave some advice on our last uh, episode about prayer. Pray with your Bible open. Make sure that you are in in alignment with what the Word of God says. Be sure that the voices that you hear that make you think, 
different things or uh, have you requesting different requests, make sure that you are listening to what the right voice says. And more importantly, as you go throughout this day and this week, don't forget to love him and love them. God will continue to place thems in your life that if you don't love him, you can't love them.